0: Hey everyone, it's Ken. I'm out of town this week, and I hate um, missing church and being with all y'all. But uh, we've got something really exciting planned this morning that we've kind of been cooking up for quite a while. We wanted to talk about spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines are, are things like scripture reading and prayer and Bible study, things that you discipline yourself to do as a believer um, that, are, that are things or habits, activities that help us grow. They don't change us. Um, Our relationship with Christ ultimately changes us. These are ways in which we come into contact with Christ or spend time with Christ or how we hear from God. So talking about the spiritual disciplines is uh, a pretty fun thing to really get at the root of how we would be able to pursue growing more into Christ-likeness or fellowship with the Spirit. So we're going to be talking about the spiritual disciplines with four different people sharing from their own lives, uh, their own experience that discipline and the passages in scripture that have spoken to them and so four different voices four different disciplines all with one message that when we as uh, branches go deeper into the vine it's the grace that we get in our relationship with jesus it's that fellowship it's the discipleship it's ultimately what changes us and grows us so i'm excited about this so get ready for a fun sunday morning four people ten minutes each spiritual disciplines here you go
1: Thank you. Good morning. My name is Midel Freese. My husband, Chris, and I have lived in Bend for 20 years, and we've been part of Antioch for the past three years. Antioch has given us great joy in church fellowship again, and we love it here. We have so appreciated Antioch's core values, especially the value of community. Um, I will be sharing with you about community this morning, and as Ken said, I have 10 minutes, so I better get busy because it might be 9 by now. We were in Denver last weekend for a fall break, and we visited two of our four adult children and five of our nine grandchildren. And I asked two of my granddaughters, Meredith and Esty, who are cousins, what church community meant to them. And Meredith, who is almost seven, said to me, "'Well, Grammy, if you don't have community at church, when you go to church, you have no one to talk to, and you do not have a family there.'" And I thought, in her sweet, childlike way, she really nailed some of the essence of community. So what is community? Why do we need community? And what does the Bible say about community? Antioch defines community as being committed to a healthy family of believers through intentional relationships in service and community. The early church lived out the example of community as described in the second chapter of Acts. Even though we don't find the word community as such in the Bible, there are so many examples in its pages of communal living. As believers, we can share our lives in Christ. We're not meant to do life alone. We can commit to one another as we live out our Christian faith and grow in our relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says we are all interconnected with the body. And that is one of the gifts that community gives to each one of us. Uh, Christ left his earthly family when he began his ministry, and he soon picked his 12 disciples who became his community, his family. They spent life 24-7 together, and it was not always easy. But as they learned to live out the one another's of the New Testament, love one another, forgive one another, regard others more highly than yourself, teach and correct one another, encourage one another, Pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, be friends, be kind and compassionate to one another, be generous, serve one another, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As they did all this, they developed strong bonds with each other. They lived life together through the good and the bad. And this is just a small um, part of the list of the one another's, but it reminds me, as Ken often says, that life can be very messy, and we really need one another to grow in Christ, just as the disciples needed each other. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that we can become mature in the fullness of Christ. They were aiming for that ideal just as we are aiming for that ideal today. As I thought about community in my own life, first I started to think about our married lives, and then I really went back to my growing up years in Salem, Oregon at First Church of the Nazarene, and my mother used to say I was born in the nursery, so community has been part of my life for a long, long time. But we did not have immediate family in Salem, and so the church became our family. Um, In the 45 years that Chris and I have been married, we have never had the privilege of living in the same town with our parents or with our adult children and their families. And I think sometimes because of this, uh, God has given us even more rich relations, relationships in the community that we have developed. Our adult children live in four states from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. You can only imagine how much United Airlines likes me and my credit card, but <laughs> church community has become all the more important to us because of that. We raised our four children in Logan, Utah, in the land of Mormon Zion. We went to a church that had Baptists, Nazarenes, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Methodist, about 20 different denominations. But we really uh, worshipped together without regard for denominational differences because we were united in Christ the people there became our family. We celebrated life together. We did holidays, birthdays, graduations together. We took vacations together. We encouraged one another. We prayed and cried together. We helped each other through hard times and family crises. We studied the Bibles together. We tried to live out John 15:7. This is my command that you love one another. We loved one another and we loved one another's children. But sometimes life gets in the way we become insensitive we betray a trust we say something that is unkind we disagree but then we look back at god's word in community ephesians 4 32 says to forgive one another we forgave one another and moved on we became for each other the hands and feet of jesus christ and this is another gift that community gives to us we can see jesus through the lovely people that we get to know and I could feel Christ's love and forgiveness through them uh, when I went through hard times. They really, really encouraged me. I grieved when we left Bend to move, or Logan, Utah to move back to Oregon to Bend. And as you can imagine, we're still very, very good friends. When we first came to Antioch three years ago, we soon found out there were two community groups that had our names written all over them. And I just want to thank Jill and Jay Plattner for their leading the active empty nesters group and for john and bonnie weitzma who gather us on tuesday nights for the cornerstone group to study the bible and over the last three years as we've gotten to know these dear people we've eaten together played together vacationed, cried prayed for one another's families encouraged one another been there for each other these people have become our church family our community we see christ in them which is very very encouraging There is now also a new multi generational women's Bible study meeting on Tuesday mornings at the church office with child care. And as women, we need each other so much to help one another grow in Christ. And no matter what our ages, we do have something to share with one another. So see me after church if you're interested we recently joined a small group that meets together weekly for a meal and for sharing. And, oh, a number of uh, months ago, the host family had been out of town. They were going to be late getting back. And so they called several of us and said, would you go over to our house and get things ready? And I said to the hostess, you are so brave. You're inviting us into your home to go through your drawers, your cupboards, rearrange the furniture and get ready so that we'll have everything set when you come. And she said, said to me oh it's all good she said pretty soon we're going to be family and that comment so touched my heart because those are the kinds of things that family does for one another and we can experience family in community groups my comments here have hardly scratched the surface That is all of all that is said in the Bible about communal living, about community. But the bottom line, as I said earlier, is that, Christ, is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Jesus says in Matthew, where two or three are gathered, I am with you. We have our big congregations, but I am convinced that the richest sharing takes place in small groups, and it can be Bible studies, being in the choir, community groups, prayer groups, mission groups, helping with the children, set up and tear down. The list goes on and on. Or at Antioch, if you really want to be involved in community, invite an intern to come and live with you for several summers. And if you are as blessed as we are, you get to adopt an extra daughter as we have in Tabitha Sickich, who has just been such a joy in our lives. But if, you aren't, if you're already in a small group, I applaud you. Yay. Keep at it. If you're not in a small group, in a community group, I implore you. I really, really encourage you to find one and join. It will truly make a difference in your life and in your walk with the Lord. Sometimes the match for a group comes so easily, and then sometimes it seems like it's so hard. But don't give up. Work at it. Keep at it until you find a group. I know that Tish Mortensen, who was up on stage earlier, who's the leader of our community groups, would love to meet with you after church in the commons and help you get connected. I love this um, sentence which says, the practice of community makes the gospel a lived reality. And that is what we all want in our lives. We want to be as John 13:34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. And so to conclude, I want to put what my granddaughter said in the affirmative. If we have community, each one of us individually at church, when we come to church, we have somebody to talk to, and we have a family here we feel like we belong. Thank you so much, and I want you to welcome Dave Grison, who's going to speak on rest.
2: Thank you. Uh, I'm Dave Grisson, as he, she said, and my wife, Sherry, and I have been in uh, Antioch for about a year and a half. We had a career in missions, uh, first living in Vienna, Austria, and working behind the Iron Curtain, and then uh, came back to Portland, got four of our kids launched in their lives, went back over with our youngest to Tashkent Uzbekistan, lived there for a number of years, and in 2003 came back uh, to this area moved to Sun River, actually, and and, uh, started a ministry called Life Impact. And in that context, we do care for missionaries and pastors uh, who need some rest and need to get on top of their lives again and and just take a break. Uh, And in that context, rest has been very, very important. Now, I'm a workaholic coming out of a Dutch community in Michigan, and... uh, Uh, Rest has been something I've fought with all my life, and now that we're into providing rest and care for for, uh, Christian workers, it's been very, very interesting to see how burned out, wiped out, um, how much in need of rest and care they they have when they uh, come and visit one of our centers. We've got 10 centers globally right now and four more coming online uh, over this next year. Well, to focus our thoughts on rest this morning, the discipline of rest, what I'd like to do is read one Bible verse uh, from Jesus' life, which I think will highlight a few things for us when we think about this. It's uh, actually Mark 631, and it says this, and this is the New International Version. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus realized the value of rest. And in his humanity, uh, obviously he knew that his body uh, had its limits. And he watched his disciples ministering to people and trying to help people and do all the things they were doing and realized that they too were going to burn out if they didn't uh, take some rest. And You know, we can give energy, we work hard, we do this, we do that. And in the process, our bodies kind of grind down. And so Jesus said, guys, we've been working so hard, we haven't even hardly had a chance to take a a snack. Let's get in the boat. Let's get out of here. Let's go to a quiet place and get some rest. And, you know, in this passage, he defines for us what the discipline of rest is, or at least some of the aspects of it. It's getting away from the busyness into a place of quietness to gain some restfulness together with him and I think that sums up that verse let me read it again come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest so in his humanity Jesus knew the value of rest for the human body but in his Godhead in his divinity he instituted the blessing of Sabbath rest for us uh, from the very beginning of time. So he instituted Sabbath rest in the creation. He worked six days, and then he rested the seventh day. He took a look at everything that he had done, reflected on it, and so on. So he instituted it. Then in uh, the Old Testament through Israel, he illustrated the importance of Sabbath rest many, many times, but the one I'm thinking of, I want to just talk a couple minutes about is the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh, and you remember the story. The Israelites had moved to the uh, to the land of Egypt already just uh, during the time of Joseph, and so they were there for 400 years before they were delivered. So for about 200 years, they were operating as slaves. Now let me ask you this question what is a week, a seven-day week, without a day of rest? What do you call that? Well, you call that slavery. And that's exactly what the Israelites were facing. So, you know, if you were born during that time, you, you were a little kid, you started growing. As soon as you could get out there to start carrying straw or bricks or dirt, you went out into the cadre to help pharaoh build his tremendous cities and so on maybe even the pyramids and you would work from morning until night go home get something to eat go to sleep get up in the morning go back to work again you did that seven days a week year after year after year and probably died when you were in your early 40s or 50s just from exhaustion so the people in this situation cried out to god god You know, come and deliver us. Get us out of this terrible situation of slavery. So God raises up Moses, sends him over there to Pharaoh. And what's interesting to me is that God could have made the issue with Pharaoh all about slavery because slavery is so bad. But God instead makes the issue with Pharaoh about the Sabbath. Eight times in the confrontation, God says through Moses to Pharaoh, Let my people go so they can worship me. And so God illustrates in the Old Testament the fact that Sabbath rest for us is vital to our lives. And then he commands it by putting it in the the Ten Commandments. And the longest statement in the Ten Commandments is actually about Sabbath. Six days you have to work. Seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't work. You, your kids, anybody in your house, hey, even give your cat and your dog a break. Let them rest. Or maybe they should be working instead. I don't know. They're resting the rest of the week when you're out working, right? So God put it into the Ten Commandments to, uh, to rest. And then in the New Testament, God, Jesus, actually is clarifying the Sabbath rest many, many times by talking about the application of it. So Jesus in his humanity, Jesus in his divinity, saw that Sabbath rest was very, very important and put it into the rhythms of life. So the question is, how are we doing in applying Sabbath rest in our own life? Now, there are some benefits from it. One, of course, is just the fact we get Uh, physically able to go on and do another week of work. But then another advantage of it is the fact that um, we have some soul strength. If we get away uh, and spend some time in a quiet place in restfulness with the Lord, we get some inner strength as well. The Bible says that, you know, the, the issues we process so much can make us turn up and around inside where we really live. And, you know, I get that periodically when I'm facing some challenge or whatever. And if we don't think right about issues, Ephesians says, we can be um, very unstable in all of our ways. And James says the same thing. You could be double-minded. You could think this is the way you should go, this is the way you should go, and then somebody else says, well, this is how you should do it. And so we become really uh, double-minded and unstable in all of our ways but getting rest with the lord allows us to process what's going on inside and come to a point of stability and centering in our own life, so that our soul can move forward in a direction of strength and then another benefit would be just a uh, spiritual perspective getting god's view on that which is uh, Uh, facing us in our lives and sherry and i like to take off periodically and when we do a lot of times we'll put in a, a three or four hour time of just getting some rest what i'm talking about right now and what i do is just go and sit and say now lord what do you want me to think about today in this time what is it that i should be reflecting on in my life and what do you want me to read from the scriptures that might give me some good input into uh this whole issue that's before me and the lord will lead and i remember a few years ago when we were moving into our this stage of our life and we were saying you know how do we work and how do we uh manage the schedules and 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 the time of our life right now and and so we um the lord that morning led me to read the book of ecclesiastes and the theme in there was dave life sometimes doesn't work out the way you think. Many times it doesn't. But I've made it. I'm with you. It's going to be short, so enjoy it while you can. And so that whole theme that morning, the Lord led us to make some application in our life about what we should be doing even today in managing our life in 2013. So there are some tremendous benefits of pulling away and doing it. Now, it's difficult to apply this discipline. It was difficult for Jesus. He gets in the boat, takes off with his disciples to go to this quiet place, get some rest together, and what happens? They get to the other side, and there's 5,000 people. There they are. They have to be fed. They have to be uh, taught. They came all the way around the lake from all different towns to get some time with Christ. And so uh, it was difficult for him to really break away and, and take this time. And it's difficult for us. Culturally, we live in a very wired society. I mean, we have our phones with us today. We probably have them on mute, but they're with us. And uh, it's tough to just break away and get away from it all. And, it, and, and sometimes we fight ourselves like I do, because I love to work, and I love doing the work I, I do. And so therefore, um, it's tough to take a break. But in the process, uh, that's something we need to do so how can we apply this just a couple of thoughts one is would you have a time in your life in your schedule even this week or, or this next month to pull away for three four hours with the lord uh, do you have a quiet place you could go to and be able to um, just spend that time with him and then what would you do take a notebook write some notes down pray read the word Uh, listen to the Spirit, speaking to your own spirit, and see where God takes you in that time of getting the rest. Or just sit in the presence of the Lord and worship Him. The discipline of rest. Now we're going to hear about the discipline of getting to know God through the Scriptures, and Cheryl Kent is going to be sharing on that. Cheryl.
3: Good morning, Antioch. My name, yeah, you can say good morning back. I'll take that. Hey. <laughs> um, well, my name is Cheryl Kent. Um, I've been married to Sean for 14 years. And I have two amazing children, Ellie, who's 10, and EJ, 7. We've lived here in Bend for now about eight years. And let me just tell you, there's a first time for everything. So here we go. Okay. So when Tish called me to ask me to speak this morning at church, my first comment to her was, in front of the whole church, you know, I mean, I just didn't think that that's how this would happen at first. But um, doubt really began to set in, you know, as, you know, when something big like that's going to happen, right? So um, I just started thinking, like, these horrible thoughts, but some of them are kind of true. Like, I yell way too loud at my kids' soccer games. Some of you can attest to that. You've seen me there. Um, I pretty much make mistakes on a regular basis, and I play Candy Crush probably way too much than I should. So, but, then God answered a prayer last Sunday, because I just found out just about a week ago that I was going to do this. God uh, answered in kind of an interesting way. We were at Chinese Food, and I opened my fortune cookie at the end of the meal, and listen to what it said. Don't underestimate yourself. Your social skills are needed by others at this time. And I just thought, you know God, you have such a sense of humor, you know, and he really does speak to us in some pretty unique and amazing ways. So, you know, the other thing, as I prepared for this talk today, I realized as I read through scriptures, pretty much most of the people in the Bible really didn't have it together unless they were Jesus. So, here we go. I've been asked to speak on the importance of scriptures in our lives. Let's face it, when you want to get to know somebody, you just spend time with them. You may take them out to coffee, you hang out. That's just kind of standard procedure. Well, with God, it's the same thing. We get to know him through his word. We, we just communicate through prayer, which Rick, your heart's going to talk about prayer here after me. And, um, and then we just need to spend time with them, right? So I, um, I, this morning, I'm just going to touch on scripture. So let's go ahead and turn to 2 Peter 1, 2 through 10, if you, if you want to, or I'll just read it. And I want you guys to kind of listen to how many times you hear the word knowledge in this short set of verses. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and goodness, goodness through our knowledge of him who called us. By his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blinded and is forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, the uh, into the kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ now i'm not going to dissect all that like ken would because that's just way too much for me and we just don't have enough time but the hebrew word for the um for the word knowledge is dot and i don't know if i'm pronouncing it totally right but it's d-a-apostrophe-a-t it's a, a noun derived from the verb yada meaning to know the idea of knowing an ancient hebrew is similar to our understanding of knowing but it's more personal and intimate like we say we know somebody, we just basically are saying we know they exist, where in the Hebrew, you can only know someone if, they have an, if you have an intimate and personal relationship with them. So how do we gain knowledge or dot about our God? It seems simple, right? We would just spend time in his word. But part of the reason why I'm up here is because the staff here knows my story. I'm one of the original Antiochers. They've seen me go through some huge ups and downs over the last seven years, and um, Honestly, we're kind of like family. I mean, I really feel we're family here at Antioch. And so they've seen how the time I've spent just diving into the word and gaining knowledge through scriptures has transformed me. So my journey to more biblical knowledge began about five years ago. I've been a Christian now for about 16 years, sorry, 16 years, and did not spend much time in the word other than at church on services on Sundays. But five years ago, through a community group, Madel was just speaking about that, I met an amazing woman who still mentored me today, and she started sharing her story about how she began reading scripture. And she said it wasn't necessarily going to be easy. She said it took her about a year to kind of get used to waking up regularly when that alarm went off. But for those of you that know me, and those of you don't, my personality is all in or nothing, so I embarked on this journey full force. I started by setting my alarm every morning at 6 a.m. Now, for some of you, that might just seem like an ungodly hour, but my sister-in-law over here, she gets up at 5 every morning, so she's more holier than me. Now, this is the time for me to be able to quiet my mind. It's just how I have to do it because I have to get it done before my little mommies start coming out or my kids start going, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. So I have to get it done first thing in the morning before they wake. And I also knew that if I didn't set my alarm on a regular basis and have it scheduled into my day, it just wouldn't happen. So you see, there's sacrifices to be made. But isn't this true of anything along our journey as Christians? So I started at about a 50% success rate. You know, I, um, because I, was, I came up with a bunch of excuses not to do it, right? Like, oh, my covers are so warm. If I don't get up and exercise right now, then that's not going to happen. And you know, God won't mind if I sleep just a little bit longer. But all of these things were just being, those were just being important to me. But what is really important to God, and I think for me, it is me being disciplined and obedient to his call. And what I found was God kind of started whispering to me in my ear every morning, almost like he was just beckoning me to come. So my 50% success rate has gone up to more like 90% because I'm not perfect. Now, one of the coolest parts is this was all happening when I was going through one of the hardest times in my life. God used my obedience to bring my husband and I together in a time when most couples in today's world push each other away. Some of you guys know our story, but, you know, when you pretty much have lost all your properties that you've spent five years for, it's not typically a time where a lot of people come together. A lot of times you push each other away. So... God absolutely brought us together as husband and wife in a way truly unbelievable. And I can say without a doubt that through scripture and prayer, God has made us best friends. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you are married to him, right? But let's just face it, just because you're married to somebody doesn't actually mean you like them. So it has impacted, and I can really say that I do like him, but it has impacted all areas of my life, from family to friends to just, and most importantly, my relationship with Christ. Now, spending time with our creators has become the most important part of my day, and I can tell you when I don't have my time in the Word, I notice, and I bet Sean and the kids would probably say they notice too. But spending time in the Word every day isn't going to save you. Jesus himself saves. Reading your Bible every day isn't a commandment either. And why is this? I think that God did this to make sure reading his Word, just like our faith in him, didn't become about works or acts, but rather about our heart. He wants, to know, he wants us to know him intimately. Instead, God wants us to go to him by our own free will. And just like we sing, there's power in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> now, if you doubt God or feel inadequate or are thinking, who is this lady telling me all this hollow blue, listen to Acts 17.11. And it says... Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now even the Bereans weren't sure about what Paul was saying to them, but they seek knowledge through the scriptures. So some of you may already be regularly spending time in in the scriptures, and some of you maybe not so much. Your journey won't and doesn't look like mine and nor should it. And I will say I encourage you all to open this book Bible, your Bible, at least once a day. Get to know your God, learn and grow in knowledge, because what you're going to find is he loves you and he wants to spend time with you, and his word can help guide you through any situation present in your life. I'd like to end by reading Jeremiah 29:13, 13, and hopefully you'll feel encouraged. It says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. So Rick Gearhart is now going to go ahead and come on out and speak on prayer.
4: Thanks, Cheryl. So is this good? Are you enjoying this? Um, so two things before I get started talking about prayer. The first is I, I want to point out that if if Ken were having himself talk about prayer, he'd give himself four hour-long sessions, and he's given me ten minutes. Um, And then, uh, what was the second thing? Well, oh, the second thing is, I feel completely unworthy to talk on this subject. I I don't know why I was asked. Um, I'm like probably a whole lot of you that that have regrets about and, and guilty feelings about my prayer life not being what I know it ought to be. So... Just let me lay that out there before I start. But I, I did want to, um, you know, ground, ground my thoughts in Scripture, uh, but also, as I like to do, uh, begin by calling out, you know, some problems that I've s- experienced in the church on, on this particular issue. And uh, so I'm going to start with uh, Galatians 5.1, which says, For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Now, that verse doesn't have anything to do with prayer. I'm, I'm just going to apply it to prayer. And that is, I'm going to call out you know, the fact that the prayer is not about formulas, as we often make it. It's just human nature to try to, you know, how do, how do I pray better? Well, here's a formula. Here's the key. Here's a clue. And I, I've experienced a lot of that in my, my church life. And so I'm, I'm just going to call out a little bit of that. Now, formulas aren't all bad. And some of them, let me, let me start with a formula that's actually kind of helpful. This is one I've come across in my thinking about prayer. Uh, and, and that is the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. This, so this is a helpful formula. It's not the, the key to praying, but, but it's good. So the acronym ACTS just tells us some of the um, components that ought to go into every prayer. And the A stands for adoration. We praise our God in prayer. The C is confession. If there's, if there's some sin that needs to be acknowledged and asked forgiveness for, we include that in prayer. T is thanksgiving. We're told in, in Scripture to, to be thankful in all things and to give thanks to the one from whom all things come. And that should be part of our prayer. And in this acronym, ACTS, then the S is, is the last one we would get to. Only after we've done those other three things do we, we do some supplication? We ask God for the things we, we feel like we need or whatever. So, you know, it, it is good to include those things. That that acronym comes from Scripture. You know, it comes from the Lord's Prayer, the way the Lord taught his disciples to pray. But it's also not meant to to cause us guilt. Oh, I, I forgot to do the adoration part, so my whole prayer crumbles, you know. So, so formulas can be helpful, but they can also be... Uh, Legalism uh, in disguise. Uh, here's one that I am going to call out, and and this was so probably 15 years ago. A little movement within the church, uh, and and I experienced it. I sat on the sidelines and watched this going on. But it was the idea that if your prayers are not being answered, it's because you're not literally crying out. Okay, I don't I don't know if any of the rest of you experienced this, but there was this movement where. You know, and it's taken from Scripture. There are places in the Psalms where the where the psalmist is actually crying out to God. He's so consumed with passion that he, he literally shouts out to God. And in this movement in the church 15 years ago, they actually got together and rather than just quietly praying to God over these needs, they literally shouted it out and thought that that was somehow the magic formula that was going to give them answer to prayer. Okay, that's that's not the key to praying. And, and you understand what I'm really talking about is not so much prayer out loud as we might do at the end of this talk, but, but personal prayer and, and, and getting closer to God that way. Um, I appreciate everything that Dave and Cheryl have shared about rest and about uh, setting aside time for scripture, but, but you understand that our prayer life ought to be more continuous than just short periods of time. And, and there's been much of my church history, I've, I've had this idea of getting up early and setting out a block of time first thing in the morning, uh, articulated as though that's what it means to be Christian, that if you're not doing that, then you're really not going to be having an intimate relationship with your creator and savior, right? And, and it's, it, it was always kind of a guilt thing, because frankly that doesn't work for me. There's there's only been a few brief periods in my time where getting up early and, and starting the day with an hour set aside for, for scripture and prayer has worked for me. And I'm, so I'm here to tell you, if it doesn't work for you, figure out some other way to to increase your prayer time. Um, you know, people, if, if you look at church history, you find whole lots of different ways that, that people have carved out time for God. And And I'm going to, try to end with uh, what I think is an even better way than, than really carving out time. Um, one last thing I'll mention that's kind of a formula that I, I disagree with, and that's uh, we, we sang about the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. It's become popular in, in Christian circles to end every prayer in the name of Jesus. And I, I want you to understand that when we pray in the na- when we're told to pray in the name of Jesus – it doesn't mean say those four words at the end of your prayer. Uh, To the Jewish mind, in, in both Old Testament and New Testament times, when they talked about the name of someone, whether God or Christ or anybody else, that word name really stood for the person themselves and all their characteristics and attributes. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, what that really has in view is that the only way we can even come to the Father with our prayer requests is because of Christ's work on the, on the cross. And, and really, if God's going to hear our prayers, it's only because we have access to the throne of God because of what Jesus did. It's, it's in that sense that we pray in the name of Jesus. It's not because we literally say those four words at the end of our prayer. Okay? So, um, done with calling out stuff. Uh, I was asked to share some things that have been helpful for for me, and obviously Scripture is replete with uh, thoughts about praying and praying well and things like that. So I'm only going to touch a couple. First of all, let me let me condense it down in in my way of thinking to so the purpose of personal prayer, and that is that we um, we align ourselves with we we put ourselves in a position of submission to and we gain intimacy with our Creator and Savior. Okay, so that's the, per, that's the main purpose of prayer uh, in a nutshell. I think there's all sorts of aspects to that, little uh, sub-objectives, if you will, to, to that overall goal. And these would include things like confession, repentance, asking for forgiveness, uh, praise, um, deliverance for ourselves or for someone else, Thanksgiving, discovering God's will, all of these are, are reasons for becoming intimate with God through personal prayer, uh, gaining reassurance or peace, or just acknowledging his control over the, the circumstances of our lives. All of these are, are why we come to God, but, but the real goal is intimacy with him and submission to him. Um, an important verse that obviously deals with this is, is Matthew uh, 6, 9 through 13, which is where Jesus shared with his very close disciples how they ought to pray, what they should include in their prayer. And, and that's where that, that ACTS acronym comes from. Uh, the point I want to share from that is... Uh, there, there's a series about a, there, there's a series of books written by Jan Karon about a fictional Episcopalian small community uh, pastor. He's named Father Tim, and Father Tim always preached that you pray the the prayer that never fails, and that is simply, "Thy will be done." Thy will be done. If we're praying that, that's the safest prayer you can do. You can be assured that your prayer will be answered if you simply pray, thy will be done. In other words, you're just aligning yourself with the sovereignty that God already has over all things. Um, If if you're interested in increasing your prayer life, another good resource is the Psalms. And, And the Psalms express all of those components of prayer that I just shared with you. Each psalm has its own focus, but, but it runs the gamut of human needs and emotions. And, and the real take-home message of spending times reading the psalms is just how raw and honest the psalmists were when they communicated personally with God. They, they didn't clean up their thoughts in order to make them more holy. They went to God with their deepest anger and bitterness and, and resentment and, and they shared it with their creator. And it makes sense, because he knows all that stuff about us anyway. So, especially in your personal prayers, don't, don't bother to take the time to clean it up and, and make it more sacred. Just be honest with God. And that's, to me, the take home message of the Psalms. Um, I think one of the most important uh, passages of scripture for me on the issue of prayer is, is in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. And I'll I'll read that here. And it's it's led into by the, the mandate that we should rejoice always in the Lord. Despite our circumstances, we ought to be able to rejoice and find joy in our relationship with the Lord. And here's what it says. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Th- be thankful for everything and bring everything, everything you're going to face today, this week, bring it before God. And the result, it goes on to say, it, it turns out the result is not that all of our circumstances are going to align in ways that make us happy. The result is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, the, next, the very next verse is just a little different in that it's not telling us how to pray, but what to think about. So the next verse in this same letter goes on to tell us that we ought to think about whatever things are worthy and trustworthy and good and, and righteous. That should be our thought life. And forgive me if you've heard me say this before but God has equal access to our thoughts that are not directed directly to him as prayers so so what I'm trying to say here is that that a truly effective prayer life would be one in which all of our thoughts all of our circumstances every waking moment we're in prayer I'm not saying that's describes my life. I'm saying that's the way it ought to be. That that everything we face, every minute of every day, it ought to be as though we're committing that to God, knowing full well that it's not a surprise to Him. That He's got our interest in mind. That He's He's there right alongside of us. Um, another resource that I would point you to, if you're if you're wanting to go deeper into this prayer life, is, is a book by a 17th century uh, Carmelite monk who, t- who took the name of Brother Lawrence. And he basically worked in the kitchens at a, at a hospital all of his life. Um, and, and yet his, he, he wasn't a, an ordained priest or an educated man or anything like that, but he was known far and wide for his intimate relationship with God. And so he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And, and I, I brought up a little book which is kind of a, a reinterpretation of that devotional classic. This is by David Winter. It's called Closer Than a Brother. But it's a reinterpretation of Practicing the Presence of God. And this is, this is from the introduction. David Winter says, To all who asked about Brother Lawrence's peace and... and um, intimacy with God. Brother Lawrence gave the same answers. Stop putting your trust in human rules, devotional exercises, and acts of penance. Instead, exercise a living, obedient faith in God. Live as though he were beside you and with you all the time, as indeed he is. Seek to do what he wants as and when he commands it, and make his command your joy and chief pleasure. The man who lives like that will be fully human, completely Christian, and genuinely happy. So when I think about the, uh, the issue of personal prayer and intimacy with God, uh, yes, I do need from time to time to carve out blocks of time to have a Sabbath rest. Yes, I do need to find times, uh, preferably an hour or more at a time, to, to be in the scripture while I'm praying. But I, I think the true Christian intimacy with God is, is that that was modeled by Brother Lawrence in which all of my thoughts, all of my circumstances, my, my every moment is committed to God because Christ is there beside me and with me every, every moment of every day. And that's how I need to live. That's how I need to approach my prayer life, okay? Okay. Um, with that, uh, we're gonna wrap this up. And I wanna tell you about uh, something exciting that's going on beginning next Sunday. And that is that we have a team of gals from Antioch who are going on a trip to Ethiopia and Kenyan, Kenya with Food for the Hungry and led by Heidi Wright. And so this is our time to kind of dedicate them in prayer for that, that whole trip. So if, if you're part of that team, would you just stand up right now while, while we pray over you? And, you know, those around them couldn't, like, put a hand on their shoulder or something. That's not a formula that is necessary for the answer to this prayer. But, you know, just uh, in, in symbol, symbolizing the whole church's uh, blessing of your trip and, and prayers and concerns for you, okay? Let's pray together as the uh, special music team comes up. Heavenly Father, we, we do come to you because of what your son Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. It's his, in, in his name that we pray and that we have access to your throne. And We just are thankful that you've placed it on the hearts of these women to uh, go learn more about what you're doing in Ethiopia and Kenya, uh, in and through Christians and, and other folks. And we just uh, pray for safety on their trip. We pray for you to change and transform them in powerful ways that we haven't even thought about yet. We pray that they would uh, communicate to the folks they go and interact with your love uh, to them and, and in, a, in a way even through us. We, we pray that they would communicate that their are brothers and sisters here in Bend, Oregon, thinking about them and their conditions and wanting to, to help them in whatever ways we can. We just uh, anxiously await the the testimonies that will come back from this trip. We give you the glory and the praise. Amen.